At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. Welcome to the It's Federal Season podcast. I'm Jason Nash here with Brian Kelvington. And Brian, we've got a great guest on today. He's actually here touring the factory. He's uh, exploring a new product we've got coming out that we'll talk about. Uh, Jeremy Stafford with Guns and Ammo Magazine. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet, Jeremy. And this is kind of unique for us, too. We have you here today behind the scenes seeing something that we don't share with, with a lot of people. So it's great to have you, and especially with your title. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, it, uh, it, I think it just kind of reflects on the relationship that, uh, that our companies have had going back to the 1950s. So it, uh, it makes me proud to be able to come here and tell you guys a story in the magazine. Likewise. Well, we re- we really appreciate it. Hopefully you've gotten some, some great insight today, uh, from talking to our engineers and our president and, and our product team. Um, and well, let's talk about you a little bit first. You know, you, you're not just a writer and, you know, for guns and ammo, you, you've got a day job too. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a day job, at least for another little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Los Angeles police officer. I've been on the job for 24 years and um, had a lot of time. Prior to that, I was in the Marines and then concurrently I was in the Marine Corps Reserves. So uh, yeah, I've, I've been blessed. I've been able to do a lot of things and, and go a lot of places. And now I get to talk about it on the pages of Guns and Ammo. So Definitely been blessed. What is it about the service mentality that uh, drew you in servicing the United States of America, obviously through the, through the Marines and now the community of Los Angeles? You know, it, it's a funny thing. So when it comes to um, the Marine Corps, my father was a Marine. And uh, I mean, I, I idolized my father as a child. So he would say that that was a bad call. Uh, <laughs> but I disagree. It's worked out well for me. Um, and he was a Marine. And... Um, some of my earliest memories, and, and I'm going back to, uh, it was before we, we moved uh, out of uh, the house I was born in. Um, so I had to be three years old. I remember looking at pictures out of my dad's Marine Corps handbook, which I still have. Um, and I remember being four and five years old and digging through his stuff. So... Um, I knew I always wanted to be a Marine. Um, I figured that I was going to go to college and then be an officer in the Marine Corps, but, uh, the Gulf war hit the first Gulf war kids, the one in the nineties. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, so I was in college and a good friend of mine and I made the decision. He made the decision to go into the, into the army. And I decided to transfer schools before I was told I was going to transfer schools. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so, but that's, that's exactly what I did. I dropped out of, uh, dropped out of college, much to my mother's uh, horror. Uh, I dropped out of college and enlisted in the Marine Corps, January 17th, 1991. And then of course, by the time I got out of boot camp, the war was over. So there was that, but, uh, <laughs> it still led to, uh, a lot of wonderful opportunities and, uh, it certainly molded me into 
the man I am today. And, you know, funny little side story. It was 12 years to the day, January 17th, 2003, that I landed in Kuwait for the Iraq war. So I finally did get to go to Iraq. It was just 12 years later than I thought. So it was. Yeah. Well, well, we, we appreciate your service and, um, you know, have you always had an affinity for guns? I mean, since you were a kid? Or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was that kid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the funny thing about it is, even though my father is a veteran, he wasn't into guns at the time. And my mom loathed guns. Um, no guns in this house. You know, the only gun that we had was a shotgun that my dad bought off a buddy who needed 50 bucks. By the way, it's a very clean Remington 870 that I like a lot. But... Um, that was the only gun growing up. And then when I turned 18, I went and I bought my first gun, uh, a Ruger mini 14, cause I couldn't afford an AR 15. Um, but I had saved enough money and I went and got it. But yeah, I, I was always fascinated by guns growing up. Um, played with them, drew them, read everything I could about them. I was that kid that rode my bike to the, uh, and I was talking to some of the other guys about this earlier. Um, I was that kid that rode my bike to 7-Eleven, which was a convenience store, and uh, I would read Guns and Ammo every month, and I would read Cooper's Corner, and I would read all the articles, and um, you know, to be to be here all these years later, and and to be the handgun editor for that magazine, it's um, it's kind of like a dream come true. That's awesome. What flavor Slurpee did you get? Cherry, man. Always cherry. <laughs> when I'm feeling a little frisky, I might add in a little bit of the Coke. Yeah, the Coke was good. The Coke, but all these weird tangerines and stuff. <laughs> no, no. You can get out of here with that. And then what snack cake did you have go, go along with that for the full sugar rush? Um, You know, it's funny because I didn't have much of a sweet tooth. I probably would have just ended up getting a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't walk walk away without those little Debbie um, zebras. Those little white and oh, chocolate good, ones are good. Those are good too. Yeah. <laughs> so, what? How did you end up, you know, being the the handgun editor for Guns and Ammo? Like, where was the connection from your service to Guns and Ammo? So that's a pretty neat story. Um, you know, a lot of times these things, especially in the firearms industry, don't happen linearly. Uh, linearly, they they kind of happen tangentially, and that's what happened. I. Uh, I, after I deployed to Iraq in 03, um, I was involved in some combat operations there. And when I got back the next year, I was actually processing out of the Marine Corps because, uh, as my wife told me at the time, I didn't sign up to be an active duty wife. Uh, and she didn't. Um, so I was getting out of the Marine Corps because at that time, even if you were in the reserves, you were fundamentally an active duty Marine. We were just constantly deployed. And I'm not complaining. I was enjoying the hell out of it. Uh, my wife and kids were not, though. So um, I was getting out, and then I got a I got a phone call from a colonel who was also in the LAPD. He was a reserve colonel that had been activated uh, and was active duty, and they actually gave him sanctuary, so he was now an active duty colonel. And he said, hey, and he called me a name that I'm not going to repeat here. <laughs> <laughs> I love you too, Phil. Um, he said, they want to give you the bronze star. And I said, yeah, they talked about that a long time ago, but I'm getting out. It's not going to happen. He said, no, I'm sitting here right next to, <laughs> right next to the one star and, uh, you're getting the bronze star with a V. So we want to do it. Uh, you want to come down or, 
it was a, I'm, I'm going to call Chief Bratton's office. And I said, okay, great. And I remember uh, I was with my wife shopping for socks. It's just one of those weird things that sticks in your head. And, and I told her and I said, but it's not going to happen. It's, they're just talk. And then, oh my God, it happened. And uh, the, the general came up from Camp Pendleton and they, they get, had the award ceremony at the uh, police headquarters facility and it was on TV. And I'll never forget that for two reasons. One, um, it was right at the time when John Kerry was running and uh, they were making a big deal out of the fact that he had thrown his Vietnam medals away at a, at a protest. And the newsman asked me, he said, uh, you, would you ever throw this away like John Kerry? And I said, if John Kerry tried to touch this medal, I'd punch him in the mouth. <laughs> 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 they didn't, they didn't put it on, <laughs> they didn't put it on the news. It, crazy. Um, so I wouldn't forget that. And then the other reason I won't forget is because, um, it was, uh, it was the last time I had all of my, uh, grandparents, my, both my grandmothers in the room at, at the same time. Uh, and they, they saw me get the medal. <clears throat> so that was really cool. Um, but it was on TV and Rich Vanola, who ran the special interest publications, for Guns and Ammo at the time, saw it. And Guns and Ammo used to be on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles. Not a lot of people realize that, but um, Southern California, Los Angeles in particular, was where a lot of the modern technique of handgunning was born because we can shoot year-round there. And Jeff Cooper started his leather slap matches and Guns and Ammo was out there because Bob Peterson um, was a huge gun guy and a huge car guy. And it was just this, this perfect storm in the 1950s. And that's where this genesis of what we consider the modern gun culture started. Just like modern hot rod culture started right there. Um, so the offices were still there at the time. And he invited me to come shooting with him. And I did. And he asked me about the story because he was going to write about it. Because I used a Mossberg shotgun in that particular uh, case. In that particular uh, battle, so to speak. And, um, and by the end of it, he said, well, why don't you just write it? Or he, I, he asked me, can you write it? And I said, oh, I've been <laughs> writing for years. I can do that. And I had no idea how to write, even though I was reading gun magazines, I had it. I think it, I think I wrote that article like 15 times, man, before I turned it in. Um, but that one article just kind of snowballed and I, I would call and bother him. Hey, can I write another, can I write another article? oh, well, you know, your stuff's not that good. <laughs> you know, he would tell me, oh, it's not that good, and I have to edit it heavy, and I'll tell you what, write about this, but I'm only paying you 500 bucks. Okay, I mean, to me, that I had young kids, and my, my youngest had just, um, I turned into a pity party, my youngest had just drowned, so um, he had a lot of medical bills, a lot of brain damage, and so I was kind of struggling, so he would just throw me these articles occasionally. And then he went to Guns and Ammo, and Jerry Lee uh, is a guy who they brought in to do um, the SIPs on an interim basis until they could find who they really wanted. And so Jerry calls me up and he says, hey, I uh, just want to introduce myself and I really love your stuff and we want to get you more involved. Oh, wow. Okay, this is great. And he goes, uh, hey, how much is, how much is uh, Rich paying you? And I told him, and he goes, what? <laughs> what? And I was like, oh no, they're going to give me less money. He goes, and, and Rich has passed, so 
you know, guys, please don't think I'm speaking ill of, of a man who was my mentor. I'm not. Uh, it was just the old school way. He goes, that son of a bitch is lowballing you. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, this is the price we pay. I went, oh, wow. <laughs> nice promotion. So I did. I got a little promotion and I got more work. And then uh, Rich brought me over to Guns and Ammo where I wrote a little bit. And then um, Eric, um, Eric Poole, who's currently the editor-in-chief, had taken over the SIPs. So I was writing a lot for him. And then he, I was one of the guys he brought in when he took over Guns and Ammo. And um, it, was just, it was just a matter of, you know, anytime your work and your expertise has to be vetted, it's a slow process. That's why um, on YouTube... You know, you can have a YouTube channel and you can get hot and you can get millions of views and you can really know nothing. You cannot know what the hell you're talking about and people will still watch it because it's entertainment, but it's not vetted. Well, <laughs> not like that when you're writing for Guns and Ammo magazine. Um, so I was a firearms instructor in the Marine Corps, combat experience in the Marine Corps, and then um, for nine years, I was the subject matter expert for firearms for the Los Angeles Police Department. And, <laughs> you know, so my expertise is vetted. My knowledge is vetted. And when I write things, it's vetted. And um, it, that takes time. You're, there's, no, there's no just catching fire, getting hot, and being the handgun editor of Guns and Ammo magazine. You well, know? I, I knew Richard pretty well. And... He was one of the most knowledgeable people. Not only was he a great story, storyteller, he'd make you laugh like crazy over the dinner table, but um, he was one of the most knowledgeable technical experts on guns. So Absolutely. you couldn't get away with anything. Nope. If you're, you're trying to slide something by him. He knew every detail. Nope. And, and you know what? It's still that way. Um, you know, not a lot of people realize it, but <clears throat> Eric Poole is, um, not only is he, you know, a wonderful writer, and an editor, the man was an armorer for Blackwater. He had mm -hmm. combat experience in Iraq in the Marine Corps, VMI graduate. If you think you're going to slide any crap past that man, you're out of your mind. You're not sliding anything past him. So <laughs> it's the same thing. I went from Rich Vanola, who knew more than me, to Eric Poole now. And Eric's not afraid to challenge me, and he's also not afraid to test me. You know, and we met Eric when he worked for the NRA and he was their yep. armor at the time. And, and, um, I've I asked him all the time. He had a license plate that said Hydroshock on it and I don't know what happened to it. I hope he's still got it somewhere. We'd love to have it if he doesn't want it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what his new license plate says. I'll tell you off air. Well, he's got to mix it up. Right? <laughs> so Jeremy, what makes a good story in your opinion? Well, you know, we'll talk about why we brought here today. But generally, what makes a good story for you to tell in the magazine? You know, the when you're writing a story for Guns and Ammo, we are first and foremost a technical journal. So it has to it has to be something that piques that interest in people. For Guns and Ammo magazine, there has to be a technical backbone or a technical component to that story first and foremost. It has to be educational and it has to be relevant. There's just not enough pages to write passion pieces. You know what I mean? If you've got a passion piece, 
That's what the SIPs are for. You can wax poetic. I have a hard word count and I have to tell people in a very short period of time what this product is all about. But if you, if, if you try to get too technical with it, it doesn't resonate. We're storytellers. You know what I mean? And that's the tricky thing about it. You have to take what is a technical dry journal and you have to turn it into a story that people can connect with because that's how these relationships are built. So you, you have to be kind of clever about it, you know, and you only have 1200 words to do it. So when I turn in a story, it's 1200 words. By the time Eric's done editing it, it's less. And you, you have to find that personal connection because adult human beings learn best if they're able to make connections and not just emotionally to something, but if they're able to um, make a comparison to something that, that they are familiar with, they're going to learn better. And that's just, that's been proven time and time again <clears throat> with, um, with adults. So when you can write an article that connects on the, not only the, 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 the technical end, but also connects on the emotional end and then connects on that attachment part of it where you are relaying things that they can pull out of their own memory bank and apply. Then you really kind of hit the trifecta and that makes a good article. That makes something where people are going to learn. They're going to see what they need to see, but they're going to see it in a way that makes sense and resonates to them. And you know, <clears throat> pardon me. It's not going to resonate with everybody. It's, you know, it's not. There are, there are, that's why certain writers have certain people that love them. You know what I mean? And other writers, you know, people go, oh, I don't, I don't like, that guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about or, you know, his stuff's too dry or, you know, things like that. So you're not going to please everybody, but you got to be true to your own vision. You got to be true to the magazine. And, um, you, you just have to be able to write something that connects and, you know, that connection piece is a big deal, especially nowadays on video stuff. When, you know, we talk about, and, and I'm not poking fun at the, the YouTube gun community at all. I, I love it. It's, it's thriving and it, it's done really well for us, but you have a lot of guys on there who are, they're just entertainers. You know, and it's easy to be entertaining with guns. It really is. And it's, it's easy to be entertaining about guns and just throw in an occasional tidbit. But when you're talking about writing for a, a technical journal, the premier technical journal, um, I would put Guns and Ammo staff ahead of anybody's in the industry right now. We've got myself, we've got Eric Poole, we've got Tom Beckstrand, you know what I mean, Rich Nance. Uh, all of us have carried guns for a living and gone into harm's way. Um, we have guys on staff like Gary James, who's been doing it since the sixties. He's been writing, um, Craig Boddington, who was my CO in the Marine Corps. Um, a lot of knowledge there, a lot of, lot of institutional knowledge in one place. And by, by serious men who have, have depended on these guns 
have depended on these tools for their life. And that is going to, I think, resonate a little bit deeper than maybe somebody else. But that story needs to get out there. That, that story needs to be told. And I know Eric doesn't like to toot our own horn, but I'll do it every chance I get. You're, you're not going to find a pool of, of vetted talent like this at any other magazine. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's impressive. And, and you know, you talk about articles and, and telling a good story <clears throat> and being somewhat concise. You know, when, when I was in school, the lower the word count that I had to turn in, the better. But actually, as a writer it's probably really difficult for you to take all of this information about guns and, and ammunition and all the things you're writing about and condense it into that, you know, yeah, short I, of an article. If I could write 2,000 words, I'd be happy. But that's not going to happen. There's just not enough space in the magazine, <laughs> you know. And if I, if, sometimes even over 1,200, I'll get a, I'll get a, a strongly worded email back. <laughs> <laughs> Writing tight is a skill. It is yeah. a skill. Yeah. But so get to what we brought you here today is uh, how are you going to uh, whittle down what you learned today about super carry, about 30 super carry into 1200 words? <laughs> because we are breaking newest here today for the, for our audiences. We are. And <clears throat> so um, this is breaking news, the 30 super carry. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. My my plane ride home is is going to be miserable because <laughs> I'm going to have to figure out how to how to do this. And also, you know, guys, I'm not I'm not blowing smoke here, but when you come to this facility and you see the history and the passion and the love that's put into the product, I mean, you guys have people that have been here for thirty. Didn't you guys were just telling me a guy retired after forty five years? You don't yep. get you don't get passion and, and commitment like that in, in every company, you know, federal, federal definitely is something special. And, um, to be able to weave that into a story that is, you know, breaking a brand new cartridge, a brand new caliber. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty tough. So, um, I honestly, I think this one, I'm going to have to lean towards the technical aspect, especially because it's new, and there's going to be so many people that want to know every little detail about it. So it, we're going to, we're going to skew towards the technical on this one, but maybe for one of the SIPs, maybe it'll let me write a little something more flowery. An SIP special interest publication. Right. For, for those people who don't recognize the acronym. And uh, yeah, I mean, the 30 super carry, I, we can't wait to see your piece on it. it we're excited about it. It, it's a brand new cartridge in a world where nine millimeter is king. Yes. And it gives you more capacity Yeah, um, with similar ballistics. Yeah. In fact, pretty much identical ballistics. They can, they can kind of overlay, especially well, with the lighter bullets, especially, you know, comparing that hundred grain, uh, super carry to 115 grain, nine millimeter. Um, the, the performance was, uh, was astonishing. Um, not to get too technical. I know we're just, it's podcast, but it's not a technical journal, but uh, the 30 super carry for those of you that are just listening to this, it is, um, a smaller diameter cartridge. That's roughly the same length. So you're looking at a slightly smaller bullet that is going to allow, uh, about a 20% increase in magazine capacity uh, across the board. So for those flush fit micro nines, uh, the shield EZ or the, the shield, uh, um, the shield pistols, 
the uh, Springfield Hellcat, things like that, those micro nines that have flush fit 10 rounders, you're going to get a flush fit 12 rounder now. And you're getting a uh, ballistically identical performance. You know, we, we shot the gel blocks today. Uh, we shot through heavy clothing today. Uh, we did accuracy testing today. And out of the Nighthawk pistol that was chambered for the 30 Super Carry, we were getting one-inch groups. I mean, it's just, it's there. It's on video. It's on, there's pictures of it. You know, I, I know a lot of times people people think, well, the, the guns aren't that accurate. Well, no, the guns are that accurate if you, if you are. Um, even out of the short little Smith & Wesson EZ today, we were getting three-inch groups. We're getting the penetration that, that, that anybody would want, uh, 12, 12 to 14 inches in bare gel, uh, 13 to 15 inches in heavy clothing. It's just, guys, it's a, it's an absolute winner. No increased recoil, you know, even though it's a high pressure cartridge, the round, uh, the, your guys' ability to, to take something, take a concept and then be able to, to make all these computer models and put that into production and your R and D steps to be able to do that in two years is pretty amazing. And to be able to identify that gap in performance between 380 and nine millimeter, because really that's, that's where that huge gap is, right? You know, I know that the 40 shooters are, are going to think, well, 40s gang and the 45 shooters, I know they all fall to hardball. I get it. Uh, and the nine millimeter shooters, you know, capacity is king, but the reality is nine, 40, 45, all pretty much do the same thing. They really do. If you take somebody who's shot by a nine, take them to the morgue or take them to a, take them to a hospital. The doctor is not going to be able to tell if that was a nine or 40 or 45. They're just not. You take them, you shoot somebody with a 22, 25, 32, even a 380. The doctor is going to be able to tell it was a subcaliber. They just are. So there was that gap between 380 and nine and the super carry really does a nice job of filling that gap guys. It really does. The, the way you guys identified that and then kind of attacked it to piggyback on top of this big resurgence or big surge of micro nine pistols, three, the SIG 365 Springfield Hellcat, uh, the Mossberg MC two SC, uh, the shield. I can go on and on and on the, the Ruger max nine, uh, is, is a fantastic little pit, pistol. Kimber Mako. This round is designed for those guns. And you can get even smaller if you want to. You know, I can't wait to see what the gun manufacturers do when they start building guns around it. That's going to be really exciting to see. Because I have a feeling you're going to get even a little bit better capacity in a smaller footprint. You're going to get smaller, thinner slide width, thinner stocks, easier carry gun. I'm really excited to see where they go with this, you know, but this first wave really impressive. And, uh, the fact that you guys are launching six SKUs, uh, with two guns right out the gate. That's really cool. Uh, I, th- I think this is going to have some legs. Definitely. Well, thanks Jeremy. We, you know, our, as you mentioned, our initial launch partners are Nighthawk custom, you know, kind of the Ferrari of, of 1911s and then Smith and Wesson is going to be our big, you know, volume partner. And of course, you know, as we, we'd certainly want others to join, but, but those are our partners for the launch. And we, we don't, we're kind of like Eric, we don't like to brag a lot about our, our teams, but we have got a fantastic technical staff and product team. And um, we're, we're really proud that, that, you know, you had the chance to come in and, and uh, see it yeah. and help us tell the story. Thank you. You know, and, the, and even the engineers 
here are just so passionate about the the project. You know, they, <laughs> they, I was with Chris and Chris is like, look at that. Look at that. Chris is one of the guys. Look at that. Look at the upset. Oh my God, look at it. And I'm like, I'm getting excited because he's so excited. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And he can call <laughs> everyone, right? The performance. He did. He said, okay, so this is going to penetrate about 12 inches and you'll see this one penetrate about uh, 13, 13 and a half inches. It was right on, penetrated right at 12 <laughs> inches, penetrated right at 13 and a half inches. I mean, it wasn't even, there was no wiggle room. Um, kind of, he, he called it and it was exact. And we're going to have Chris on in our next segment, Tech Talk, just to go a little bit deeper into the into the cartridge. But overall, um, you know, it's hard to always predict how things are going to turn out. But your expertise, your knowledge base, your um, your service, where do you see this cartridge? Well, initially, uh, honestly, I think there's probably going to be a little pushback from people who don't quite understand it. You know, and that's part of our that's part of what uh, us in the firearms industry are going to need to do. Is, is let people know this, look, we're not talking about supplanting um, nine millimeter duty round, right? What, what we're trying to do is provide you with a better option for a carry pistol. That's why it's the 30 super carry. Um, you know, and I think uh, when we start getting that messaging through to people that, you know, this is a, this is a specialized cartridge for this particular style of gun. And these are the design parameters and this is the benefit of it. Um, I think people will start to come around, you know, you're going to have the naysayers and you're going to have people that are like, well, you just need to make more nine millimeter and make more five, five, six. Those are the only calibers you should make. Um, <laughs> we've never heard that before. Right. <laughs> um, unfortunately in the firearms industry, just like every other industry, sometimes people can't see past their own niche. So you'll have the tactical shooters that don't understand why, um, ammo companies make anything other than, you know, nine and five, five, six. Uh, you're going to have the, uh, you're going to have the more traditional shooters that are like, that are like, God, you know, I, I just can't find my 44 special the way I used to. Um, it, we're all a victim of our own, you know, prism, the, the way we look at things. And, um, sometimes it, it just takes a little reset so everybody can see that it is a huge market out there. And just because you add one thing doesn't mean you need to take away from something else. And there's not going to be less nine millimeter because you guys are making <laughs> 30 super carry now. Um, right. you know, and that's something that, that I'll also be sure to throw in the article too. Don't worry guys. They're still making plenty of nine millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, it's been a pleasure talking with you and having it in the factory. And, you know, I know you got a chance to shoot with the team and shoot gelatin and, and try out the product in, in multiple guns. So uh, we can't wait to hear, to read the article. Um, Thank you for being here. Guns and Ammo is one of our favorite titles, and uh, we appreciate it. Well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me out here, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the uh, the friendship between our companies for such a long time. And I'm looking forward to another 50 years, and uh, I'm looking forward to you guys being around a long, long, long time too. 100 years coming up. That's pretty awesome, guys. Great job. Thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. Meet the industry's widest variety of game-changing ammunition. However you shoot, and whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared. And nothing prepares you better than Federal Premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. 
Find your federal premium advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk. All right, well, we're back on It's Federal Season with Chris Locke, product manager for handgun ammunition and, and one of our great experts in the company here to talk about the brand new 30 Super Carry. Chris, how excited are you for this? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty jazzed. Yeah, it's a uh, new, new calibers, new cartridges are always interesting, right? You really want to go someplace that, that hasn't been, hasn't been uh, covered before. And this one, every time we go and shoot it, every time I get a chance to get some, some more rounds uh, through the guns now, and we're starting to get more of the guns, kind of the production guns coming in, uh, it never gets old. It's just every time it's a thrill and, and, uh, it's the real deal, man. It's, it's fun to see it happen and get in the terminal testing and do all that stuff and see it really work exactly the way uh, we all envisioned it was going to work. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. That's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the, you know, the genesis of the 30 super carry product. Um, what niche it fills. Yeah. And that, that's important with all of our n- new product development, right? We, we try and find an unmet or undermet need in the market and what, what is the market need that, that isn't being serviced. And, uh, our, our engineer who came up with the idea, we kind of challenged him to help us find a, a good spot where, where we could come up with something in handgun that, that wasn't being adequately serviced in the market. And what we found is that, uh, uh, it's carry based, right? Uh, concealed carry based, just the, the, the prominence of personal defense in, in our industry and, and what people are buying guns for and all the new shooters. And then this huge, uh, influx of compact, subcompact, high capacity, nine millimeters. And you could really see where the market was going. Um, but we know that why do people carry a handgun for personal defense? Because a long gun's impractical right? A handgun has inherent limitations. So you carry it because it's small and it's practical. And uh, for it to be practical, it needs to be pretty tiny, needs to be compact, needs to carry easy, but still needs to be controllable and effective, terminally effective. And that kind of left us with two classes uh, of firearm in the, in the industry and in cartridges. And you have everything up to and including 380 is kind of one family, the subcompacts, small kind of moderately effective cartridges. And then you've got a huge terminal performance jump up to nine millimeter, especially the modern nine millimeter with how, what we know how to build bullets today. And then from there, you get small incremental gains as you go up in cartridge after that. So 40 and 45 and, and all of these other cartridges, you get small incremental gains. So the really big performance gap was between 380 and nine. And then what we also saw is the big difference in carrying guns, right? You have guys that three seasons out of the year are carrying uh, nine millimeter, but then in the summer they move to a 380, just less clothing. It's harder to carry. So I'm moving to something smaller and more practical, something I can carry in a pocket. So that there was that gap too, and just in, in what guns people selected. So with 30 super carry, what we tried to do is find a cartridge that would be as terminally effective as nine millimeter, but would allow you potentially to carry something the size of a 380 or could get you more uh, capacity than a nine millimeter. So to have that terminal effectiveness, but have more rounds on board than a nine. You characterized it this morning as it carries like a 380, but it hits like a nine. Can you expand on that? 
Yeah, and we think, you know, that's going to be more of kind of the, the wave two of the guns, right? Because we need to give the gun manufacturers a little more time to design an entire frame around a gun. But that was really the idea of that cartridge was if you carry it in a, in a platform that's the same size as a nine millimeter, you're going to get more rounds on board, the same terminal effectiveness or, or very, very close terminal effectiveness to the nine and uh, similar recoil impulse similar muzzle flash things. So it's going to not be that different than shooting a nine, but give you more rounds. And that's kind of the wave one. And then the, that wave two, we expect uh, the manufacturers, the firearms manufacturers will be able to take this cartridge because it is a smaller diameter than a nine, about the same overall length, but smaller diameter. So you can shrink that grip size and kind of develop a frame around it to be able to make something that that is smaller. So the 380 being shorter and, and the same diameter is a nine you get a smaller frame but this is actually a, a better way to achieve that kind of smaller size too because you don't end up holding kind of that little broom handle right that small grip the the, the front to back um, overall length of that nine is a pretty comfortable size for most people to shoot um, but then the ability to, to squeeze that in and either fit in more rounds or just make the overall frame size smaller so yeah that that's kind of what we see is that next wave is going to be that carry like a 380 hit like a nine. And, and Smith and Wesson is going to be the gun that most people uh, purchase yeah. for this product out of the gate. They yep. were a great partner for us and came on board. Talk a little bit about what, what they're going to offer. Yeah. So they're going to do that shield plus that high, uh, high capacity, super compact nine. And uh, they're going to do that and a shield easy, which again, is great choices, right? Those are the perfect choices the exact guns that we would have picked if we could have asked them to develop guns for it. They came to that conclusion on their own. They, they got the pitch and kind of where we were going with 30 super carry. And then I totally get it. This fits right into what our customers want out of a firearm. And they picked those two models. And uh, my understanding is there's going to be some variants with and without thumb safeties and things like that, but that's going to be the two platforms that they focus on um, two extra rounds in each. So instead of a, a single stack eight uh, round magazine, you're going to get a 10. And then in, the, in that Shield Plus where they've got um, your, the, the flush fits and the extended capacities, you're going to be able to go uh, up to 15 rounds. So it's, uh, you're, you're getting those extra rounds. It's the 10, I believe, goes to a 12, and then the 13 goes to a 15. So you get two extra rounds in each of the magazines. And uh, in that nice subcompact platform, perfect application for the cartridge. That's great. And you know what? Capacity makes a big difference when you're in, you know, if, if you're in the unfortunate situation of having to use your firearm for defense, right. having those extra rounds really makes a difference. Yeah, we, you know, in talking to a lot of use and force instructors and stuff, we talk about, I mean, that if there's a lethal threat, what you're trying to do is make them not a lethal threat, right? You're trying to alter behavior in that moment in time. And when it's a lethal threat like that, I mean, it's more opportunities to affect the behavior, right? It's more, more opportunities to stop a lethal threat from being a lethal threat. And at the range, it's just more fun. Yeah. <laughs> at the range, is more fun. Yeah. We see that. It's, it's funny when you're used to a, a um, with a, the Nighthawk, for example, that 1911, it's a 10-round 9-millimeter, and we're shooting Bianchi plate racks, and you, you get a couple extra rounds where you don't have to reload. It, it, uh, it, it's, it's pretty fun that first time you realize that, like, oh, I can keep going. So at launch, how many bullets will we be coming out with? We're at shot, you know, we're at shot show, and so how many bullets will we come out with at the time of launch? How many different like unique loads? Yep. Uh, so 
Federal being the ideator of the, the cartridge, we're going to do an HST and an American Eagle. So you get uh, your carry and your training equivalent. Uh, they're both going to be 100 grain. So 100 grain HST, 100 grain American Eagle. And those are going to be about 1250 feet per second. So they're smoking. They're coming out. They're pretty good. Again, it's a little bit high pressure, higher pressure cartridge than something like a nine. They're moving pretty good. And then uh, Spear is going to uh, do in a gold dot, 115 grain gold dot. Uh, nice to have kind of that. For the people who are, are used to nine, right, that nice association with that 115 grain, uh, great bullet, that, that, that unicorn bonding that's making for a really nice projectile for that. So there's going to be the spear gold dot. And then uh, CCI Blazer Brass is going to do a 115 grain uh, FMJ equivalent for, for training with that. And then uh, Remington is going to do a couple right away at launch too. So they're going to do the HTP, which is one of their um, uh, kind of the opening uh, terminal kind of carry bullets. Uh, they're going to do that right away with the HTP. And then there's going to be a UMC and both of those will also be a hundred grain. So six, six SKUs from three of the biggest, um, you know, names in, in personal defense ammunition in the, in the market. So. And, and when will people be able to buy it? In January. So we're going to, by the time, uh, shot show happens, there should be ammo starting to hit, right? So, it's just kind of where it is through the distribution uh, network, TBD by SHOT Show. But before the end of January, it'll be on the shelves. You'll be able to buy it for sure. And, and the same with the guns. So Smith is going to have guns out there, and we're going to have ammo out there, and we're working together to make sure they're going to be on shelves together so that people don't have to do a lot of hunting around for it. Nice. And you, you mentioned it being a pretty hot load, mm -hmm. but we've all shot it. It's a very manageable. Yeah, yeah. If, if I handed somebody a, a loaded... 30 super carry, not telling them what it was and had them shoot it. Nobody would be able to tell it wasn't a nine. So it's a, it's a little bit more, uh, immediate report is the easiest way. Can I can explain it's, it's not more felt recoil. It's uh, not louder per se, like a louder report. It's a little more immediate just cause it is really fast, right? So slide moves fast and you kind of feel that if you know it's coming, you notice it. But for somebody who who uh, didn't know what it was, they wouldn't even notice the difference. You know, for all the labor you've put into this, a lot of intense labor with you and the engineers, can you can we get to this launch fast enough? <laughs> yeah, it's it's exciting. It, it, it was fun uh, here today um, going through and, and shooting this stuff and having the engineers, uh, engaging with the engineers is always uh, so much fun. Uh, just seeing these guys, and, and you can see, you can see the gears turning with everything they do, right? Every, every press of the trigger, they're watching ejection, they're watching recoil, they're looking at muzzle flash, they're looking, uh, you know, for accuracy and where the rounds are hitting. We shoot gel, they're analyzing it right there, and we're doing all that stuff all the time. And, and uh, yeah, that, there, there, is, there is no better team in the industry than, than we have working for us developing bullets. Well, it's been fun to be part of, and Chris, uh, thank you for your passion about the project and your your technical expertise and we can't wait to to help you launch it yeah i'll be carrying it as soon as i can get one so will we <laughs> there's a time and a place for every season this is that time and these are those special places when preparation gives way to anticipation, rituals, and traditions. Friends, family, forever. 
This is what you live for. It's time to celebrate the annual tradition like no other. It's federal season. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and the News and Notes segment. We're at SHOT Show today, but we have shows coming up where we get a chance to meet you, the consumer. Look for us at the Western Hunting Show in Salt Lake City, Utah, February 10th through the 13th. We'll also be at the National Wild Turkey Federation Show in Nashville, Tennessee. That is also February 16th through the 19th. And finally, come see us in Omaha, Nebraska, as we celebrate Pheasant Fest. That's March 11th through the 13th. Finally, Federal is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year in 2022. Look for plenty of opportunities to celebrate this milestone with us. Go out to our website, look for special apparel, a commemorative book, or magazine, and you can follow our social channels as we celebrate this historic milestone with the fantastic people and fantastic products made by Federal. If you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's federal season.